times when things seem to go just perfectly and the timing is just right and everything fits together. In Galatians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at a, a fairly short passage, just a few verses. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And we're kind of, kind of going to pull these apart a little bit and dig into them. And it starts off, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now I'm going to pause there, and we'll, we'll go through the rest of it here in a minute, but I'm going to pause there. Christmas, right? If, if nothing else, kids know when it's Christmas time, because the tree goes up and the presents start appearing. I don't, I don't know about anybody else, but when I was a kid, we opened our presents Christmas morning, which means 1201. <laughs> your dad starts yelling at you, go back to bed, it's not until 6 o'clock. Okay, at, at 5.59 and 59 seconds, knock, 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 it's 6 o'clock now. I, I don't know if anybody else has done this, but like we know when it's time for something. We look forward to Christmas. We enjoy Christmas and all that goes around with it. This is, this is one of those passages that I've heard preached, and I, I really enjoy uh, pondering on this idea of when the perfect time or when the fullness of time had come. So we're going to take just a couple of minutes and, and kind of dig into that a little bit and um, look at what is practical about that. Practically, this is the perfect time. And there's a bunch of different things about that, and, and smarter minds than, than me have thought about this and looked at it and, and started to examine. And so one of the first things that people recognize about getting the perfect time for Jesus to arrive was the Roman Empire. You look back at history and you begin to realize that all of this stuff came together just right so that Jesus could come into the world. And one of the big things was the Roman roads. The roads were built in such a way, it, it actually took about 300 years to put together all of these roads. There were something like 250,000 miles of roads in the Roman Empire. I mean, that's, that's just astounding. Now, now, what difference does that make? Well, practically, we look at that, and it's like, wait a minute, Jesus came, and first of all, they had to, to move around, travel around a little bit, just for Jesus to come. You guys remember the, the Christmas story, right? I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of that, but, but you remember that Mary and Joseph, they had to travel around. Well, the roads made that easier. That, they actually made that possible. But more than that, the roads had to be paid for, right? And so in, in Luke chapter 2, it says when at a certain time a census or a, a registration for taxes came about. Well, the reason for that was somebody had to pay for those roads. And about 30 years before the birth of Christ, the, the Roman Empire completely changed how they paid taxes and how they dealt with building those roads. So, so not only were their roads constructed, but the way to build those roads and the way to pay for those roads had changed just in time for just the right moment to Jesus, for Jesus to arrive. See, Mary and Joseph, they had to travel so that they could register to pay the taxes. I mean, that, that's kind of cool the way that that worked out, right? But then more than that, shortly afterwards, when Christ grows up, 
he starts traveling around. You remember throughout the Gospels, it talks about he, he goes up to Galilee and he goes across to Samaria and he goes down to Judea and he, he travels all around. That's using those roads. But beyond that even, this morning we were in Sunday school talking about Paul and his missionary journeys. And he's traveling all over Rome, right? The Roman Empire. He goes tons of different places. And part of the way that he was able to spread the gospel was because those roads had been built. And the ability to travel conveniently and quickly was something new that hadn't happened like that in history prior to that. And so God waited until the perfect time. But that's just one practical way in which the timing was perfect. More than that, we have the peace of Rome. See, Rome, they come in, and there had been several different empires, um, but Rome ruled with an iron fist. And for one thing, that sets up a, the, the ability for people to move around. There was a lot of freedom. We, again, we look at the, the life of Paul as he starts to spread the gospel. He's able to go basically throughout the entire known world because there's this, it, they call it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so that, that ability to travel, not only to get from one place to another, but to do so safely or relatively safely, that was something new that the world hadn't really experienced to that extent until Rome set that up. Now, I, I told you they ruled with an iron fist. That's actually a two-hand, two-edged sword. For the one side, it's really nice because there's peace and they're able to, to travel around and be safe. But at the other side, they tend to quash rebellions and riots, and the, the system was pretty harsh at times. In fact, it was so harsh that they invented one of the worst ways to kill somebody who violated their laws. We call it crucifixion. You, you do a little bit of study, you do a little bit of, of looking into the history of crucifixion, and the Romans, one of the things that they did, they came up with, I'll call it wonderful ways to be terrible, to, to torture people so that they ruled with that iron fist, so that people would not disobey the laws of Rome. Well, all of that came about at just the right time for Christ to be born. It's pretty cool, pretty neat. More than that, there, we call it the, the language of Rome. Um, this actually happened a little bit before when Alexander the Great conquered the imp his empire. This was the Greek empire. One of the things that he required was that everybody learn Greek. And over, over time, throughout history, Rome continued to include that. And so there was a trade language that everybody knew. It was Greek. We call it Kone Greek is, is what the Bible was recorded in. But it was able to be transmitted very, very quickly and very, very easily because people understood this language. And so they were able to spread the gospel very quickly. Um, the fact that everyone was able to speak the same language allowed for the dispersion of the message of Christ. And when Paul starts writing his letters, he doesn't write a different language to each of those different churches. He writes in one language for all of them. And that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. Now, these are all practical ways in which the timing was perfect. Now, I think they're pretty neat. I, I'm a student of history. I enjoy studying some of these things. I don't, I don't know about anybody else, but I think they're really cool. And, and I've just barely glazed over them. There's, there's so much more to understanding this. But here's the deal. They're just practical ideas. These are, these are ways in which men look back at history and they're like, 
I think this all fits together, and it's really neat. And it's, it's very easy. I don't know about you, but I, I know when I look at my life and the world around me and things going on, I try and figure these things out. And I try and be like, okay, now I, I know a little bit about the way that God operates, and so maybe he's putting this together and putting that together and doing these things. But then I have to remember, well, that's just my own thinking. That's just man's thinking, trying to put things together. A, a really great example of that is... Um, during Sunday school, we use, it's called Answers in Genesis, which is a, a really neat ministry. They go through and they try to un- use the brains and the minds that God has given us to understand the way that the Bible worked. And they start with the foundation of, okay, God's word is true. That being the case, how do we understand that, that the worlds were created? Like, how, how did that work? That God made everything? Or that... that when it says that Noah built an ark for everybody to, to get into, how did that work? How could you possibly get all of these different... And Answers in Genesis is a great ministry because they, they use the brains that God has given us to try and put that together. But obviously our brains are limited. So I wanted to, to move on beyond just practical thinking about the way that timing was perfect for Christ to come. Look at some of the theological ideas. See, it, it's, it's true. All of that stuff that I talked about is true and accurate. And it's really neat. And I encourage you, study that. Look into that. Because uh, when, when we start looking at how God operated everything to put this together so that when Christ came, it would go smoothly and perfectly and effectively, wow, that's cool. But that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just barely getting started. We then dig into some of the theological implications and we realize that God was doing more than just putting a country in place, Rome, putting that together so that there would be roads so that his message could go about. Now, he did use that. And like I said, I think that's really cool. But more than that, God was at work putting together the fulfillment of prophecies because he had made promises in the Old Testament. And actually next week, um, next week we're going to be taking a look at some of these prophecies. Now, my plan had been that next week we would go through all the prophecies in the Old Testament and how Christ fulfills them. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, right? Ain't going to happen. Depending on who you talk to or, or what sources you look at, there's like 300 different ones. And if, if I have a tendency to, to preach long anyway, I don't think that I can cram 300 into one sermon. So we're not going to try all 300. I think in the, in the bulletin it says that next week we're, we're looking at prophecies and the, uh, that God kept his promise and fulfilled prophecies in, the, in Christ, right? Well, because of the 300 or so, I think it's like 351, like I said, depending on what resources, there's bunches. We're going to narrow it down just to the book of Matthew. And there's still a ton. So we're actually just going to narrow it down. And, and here's your homework. I'm giving you the homework early. So here's your homework. Look in the book of Matthew for the places where it says this was done to fulfill what was written. And, and it'll phrase it a little bit differently. But if you use that keyword of fulfill, that's really going to, going to clue you in and let you see a bunch of these. But there's so many ways in which Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. 
that we're going we're gonna to take some time next week and dig into that. But one of the ways in which Galatians chapter 4 is dealing with this idea in the fullness of time, or at the perfect time, God put all this together. Like I said, there's some practical ways, but more than that, there's a bunch of theological ways. And one of the biggest is those prophecies, because God had made a promise. He had told people that certain things were going to happen, and when God makes a promise, he fulfills it, right? He always does what he says he's going to do. And so, like I said, next week we're going we're gonna to take that section and really expand it and look into the ways in which Christ fulfills those prophecies. Beyond that, though, it is a fulfillment of God's plans. Now, we're going to hold, hold a finger in Galatians chapter 4 because we're, we're coming back here. But if you jump all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, many of you are probably already aware of this one. But it's, it's such a neat way. You remember the story of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 1 deals with how God made everything. And like I said, Answers in Genesis kind of deals with that. And is like, okay, the, the scientific community tries to say this. But the Bible says this. And, and we know that God created science. So... We're not going to take man's word, but we're going to look at this and try and understand it and try and put the pieces together. They do a really neat job. Genesis chapter 1 is fascinating uh, to, to begin to understand how everything worked out. And it's exactly what God said, and it fits with science, with true observational science. We get done with chapter 1, we get into chapter 2, and God really digs in and, and tells about his focus on who mankind is. And God, God puts... Adam and Eve in the perfect place. And he, he gives them a job and he blesses them and he says, I want you guys to, to live in, in this utopia that I've created for you, the Garden of Eden. And what does, what does man do? Go ahead, you can say it. Sin. They rebelled. They said, no, yeah, you know what, God? I, I don't want you to go your way. I want to do my own thing. And they rebel, right? They listen to Satan. They listen to the serpent and do what the serpent says instead of what God had said. But this amazing thing happens. Again, when we pause and just, just consider it for a moment, this, it, it, it's truly astounding. See, God knew what had already happened. But he comes back to the garden. He says, Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew exactly where Adam was, right? But he's giving Adam an opportunity to repent of his sin, to come back, and to return to fellowship. Well, Adam, he kind of says, well, the, the, the woman you gave me, I, she gave me this apple and, or this fruit, and I, I ate it. And, and so God's like, well, Eve, what, what are you doing? And Eve says, well, the, the serpent beguiled me and tricked me, and I, I ate. God deals with that, and he talks to him. And, and you'll notice sin has results. Bad things happened. Right? We're, not, we're not going to overlook that. God gives the punishment for these sins. But as soon as he gets done with that, declaring the curse, he takes them and he kills an animal. He, he offers the first sacrifice. And he makes a way to restore them to himself. And even in the curse, 
he promises, looking forward, that there would come a seed of woman or an offspring of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And that starts this this line through the entire Old Testament of the plan of God that he's not going to leave Adam and Eve nor their offspring. He's not going to leave mankind lost without him. He's going to set it up in such a way that there will be an opportunity of redemption, a way for the people who rejected him to come back to him. And at the fullness of time, at the perfect time, God did that. And what did he do? Back to Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, which was very important because God had promised Eve that her offspring, that the, the seed of Eve would be the way in which he restores. Born of a woman, born under the law. Now, it's easy to pause there, to, to stop there. And I, I've even heard some lessons and, and studies that just stop there. And all of that stuff that, that I've talked about, I think it's really cool. Like I said, I, I love how we can understand practically what Scripture's talking about. And, and God gave us a mind and a brain to be able to do that. And I encourage you, take time to, when you read through Scripture, it's like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how this would have worked or what, what this would have done or how that would fit together. More than that, there's, there's the theological effect in which God is doing something, and he's been doing it, like I said, all the way from the beginning. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, God had his plan, and he was working it out, and he was making it happen. And next week, we're going to look at some of those prophecies and how Christ fulfills those prophecies and those promises. But all the way through, God is, is working this plan in a perfect way so that it's just right. But the thing is, if we just pause there, we could be like those kids who are like, oh, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward. Yeah, it's going to be great. Or we could go on. I'm going to encourage us. Let's go on in this. And not just be excited for that day when you get to open up the present, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's fun. I don't know about you guys. I still love to rip open a present and let all the, the paper go flying and everything. But if we just open the box and like, oh, hey, it's a, it's a present, cool. It didn't really do us a whole lot of good. So let's look at what the present was. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that, or for this purpose, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We, we looked at this idea of God's perfect timing. And that practically it makes sense. We can, we can figure it out in our heads and it makes sense. But theologically, when we understand what's going on in the Old Testament and what's God, what God is doing and coming, bringing together, it, it continues to fulfill those things. But it's not focused on that. This, this chapter in Galatians 
is, is dealing with the position that these believers, these followers of Christ are in. And Paul wants them to understand what's happening as they, they transition from this understanding of the Old Testament into this new life in Christ. And they didn't have everything figured out. They, they had some areas in their theology that was kind of messed up, and they, they were thinking that, oh, if, if I just do the right things, if I go through the ritual in the right way, that's, that's what makes me right with God, or that's what keeps me right with God. And, and they weren't thinking about the Lord's Supper. They were thinking about the Old Testament law and the things that God had given them, the, the sacrificial system and going to the temple and doing all these things. And he's like, no, 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 no. You guys need to, you need to understand something. See, that, that was what God had set up. That was what was going on. But when the fullness of time, when the perfect time came, God sent his son. And he did it. In the fulfillment of the prophecies, he did it in his perfect plan. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do certain things. And so we have the effect of this. First and foremost, Christ came, right? That's the reason for the season. It's a, it's a little bit of a cre- cliche, but it, it really is worth considering. You know, we're going into Christmas time, and there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff going on. And it's, it's great. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. But don't let it distract you from the true reason, the fact that Christ came. But he came for a purpose, for a reason. Christ came, he, was, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law, in order that, or for a particular purpose, for a reason, for this reason, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law. Now, I love the Old Testament, um, in, in the weeks and months ahead, I'm sure that I will preach Old Testament several times. Um, when I was here previously, we looked at Deuteronomy and just barely got a glimpse of it. And I'll admit, I, I, that was one of those times when I kept going and it was, oh, I love, I love Deuteronomy. It's good stuff. We start looking at the Old Testament and the law and we find that there's all kinds of rules and regulations and things going on and, and ways in which there were, there were things that they had to do, and yet we were slaves. That's the, that's the point that Paul is making with this, that they were bound to do those things. They didn't have freedom. They didn't have abilities. They didn't have that, that flexibility at that time. Instead, they were bound as slaves under that. But Christ came to redeem them or to, to bring them out, to pay the penalty so that they could be freed from the law. It, with, within this, this area of what Paul's talking about, he reminds the Galatians that they were bound by sin as slaves. And yet, when Christ redeemed them, he set them free. And, and they lived in a time and an era, again, looking just at the, some of those practical ideas, Rome had pretty much more slaves than free people. So they fully understood this idea of what slavery was and what it was to be bought out of that. We don't, we don't necessarily have that same connotation or understanding today, but this idea of slavery, they were, they were well-versed in. But somebody could be set free or released from that bondage. And that's exactly what he's saying. Christ came to redeem us, to set us free. 
But not only that, it doesn't stop there. Not only are we redeemed, we are adopted. As a result of salvation, we are adopted, no longer slave, we are become sons and daughters of God. In order that he, back to verse 5, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, there's a whole lot going on in this, and, and I'm not going to pull all of it out, but um, I, I, have, I have a really cool brother. Uh, my, my brother, Sam, he's my older brother. I've always had to look up to him because he was taller than me. Um, but he and his wife have done something that, that is amazing. I mean, it blows me away when I, when I think about it. They have adopted a, a daughter, and they're actually in the process of adopting two more kids, uh, foster kids that, that have had a, a tough life, um, lots of challenges that they've gone through, and they, they had the opportunity. God has not blessed them with children of their own, and so they said, you know what? We want to love Christ, and we want to love others, and, and they have adopted a, one child, and they're in the process of adopting two more. And it, it's amazing to me, if you've ever interacted with somebody who, who goes through that process, it's a big process, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's, it's emotionally a roller coaster for them. Um, but here a couple of months ago, we got to celebrate when, when they finally got the paperwork all done and the, the court signed off and said, all right, this, this young lady, this girl, is now your daughter. And the joy that that was, oh man, it was so exciting. <clears throat> Still is, obviously. Um, so cool to see what that adoption is just, just in front of me. That, that daughter, that child became, went, went from being everything of her past and not, I don't want to say she was unloved because she was by some, but, but went from that state to now being the daughter of my brother Sam Jack and, and, and being a part of the family. And it, it was a complete change and it was so awesome to see that's what God did with us. We were beyond unloved. We were, were worthless scum. When, when you look at what, how, how Paul describes us, all of our, our righteous acts, our good deeds, they're filthy rags. They're worthless. They're trash. And yet, God loved us. John 3.16, one of my favorite verses. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whosoever, that means you, that means me, anybody, whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And this verse is explaining that a little bit more by saying, okay, Christ came at the perfect time, right when God wanted it to happen. He came so that he could redeem us, pay the penalty and draw us out of slavery. But more than that, so that he could adopt us and make us his own children. See, we go into to this Christmas season, and, and it's a wonderful season, and it's great, and I love it. It's so exciting. We talk about remembering. Remember what Christ did. <laughs> he came, and he paid the penalty for our sins. Not just so that our sins could be forgiven, but so that he, we could become 
children of God. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> and because, verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, this, this is one of those really cool phrases. It gets used a lot. It gets thrown around a little bit. But it is the idea of being able to call God Daddy, Father, my dad. Not just some, some guy out there, but my dad and my father. And all, all the connotations that go with that, both, both good and challenging. I mean, as, as our father, that means that he sometimes disciplines us when we, when we start going astray. I love my kids. I love using them as examples. I try not to pick on them too much. But, but every now and then, I'll admit, they're not quite the perfect angels that they appear to be. I know, shocking, right? If, if you've had kids, you know that sometimes they act really innocent, and then sometimes they don't. And so what does a father do? Well, a father loves them enough to correct them. And we're, we're not going to go into parenting classes too much right now. Maybe, maybe we can do that for a Sunday school or something sometime. But he disciplines us. But in doing that, he proves that we can come to him and call him Abba, Father, my Daddy, because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. On the other, on the other hand, there are other examples in, in Scripture that talk about, you know, who of you as a father, if, you're, if your child comes to you and is like, Dad, I'm, I'm hungry, which one of you gives him a rock and says, here, have a rock, eat it? No, you, you give him bread, right? You take care of him. So in the same way, see, the, the, this idea of, of being adopted sons and daughters and being able to call him Abba, Father, it's so much more than just this simple basic, oh, yep, you're adopted. But, but this idea that, that when we err, when we go astray, he's there to bring us back in. But beyond that, when we go to him with needs, and issues, and problems, and challenges. He's there to put his loving arms around us. Say, yeah, I know. It's tough. It's hard. Let me help you. And he does that in different ways. Just, just like a, a dad, a good father, when, when their little kid comes up to him and like, Tommy's being mean to me. I want you to go beat him up. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that, but as a father, is that the right thing to do? Probably not. Now, I'll admit, you start picking on my little girls, and I may want to, but that's, that's just me. But there is a proper and appropriate way to deal with those kinds of things. And as a, as a loving and good father, God deals with those. Because we have this ability to come to him crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, help me, straighten me out, correct me, guide me, provide for me, care for me, all of that. Everything that is, is in that, and, and I understand a lot of times, unfortunately, there are folks who don't have a very good home life, whose parents have not lived this out. They don't have that good example. But you know, that's part of the awesomeness of this. It's like even when the earthly fathers, the worldly fathers fail, sometimes they were trying really hard, and sometimes 
They were completely absent and didn't even care. But even when earthly fathers fail completely, our Heavenly Father is still there to bring us back, to take us in His loving arms, to embrace us and help us, to show us what a good father is, what we ought to be like. At the perfect time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, for the purpose of redeeming, buying us out of slavery. See, we were sinners, and God paid the penalty for our sins. He redeemed us. He bought us. More than that, he adopted us, brought us into his, into his family, and allowed us to call him the God of the universe, the creator of all things, to call him Father, Dad. It almost, I don't know, it almost seems odd, but he doesn't even stop there. I almost feel like a, a, one of those infomercials. infomercials. But wait, there's more. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> that's exactly what he does. Therefore, as a result of this, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What is an heir? An heir is one who will inherit, right? Now, God doesn't die. So it's, it's not the inheritance that we typically would think of, this idea where, where you know, grandpa passes away and you receive a portion of his benefits. Instead, it's, it's this idea that as children, the father gives to us certain things that allows us to then carry on and continue. And ultimately, we look forward to a time when... As heirs, our inheritance is, is far beyond anything that we could have in this world. We're looking forward to an ultimate glory. We're looking forward to heaven. And that is the home that we're going to have and the blessings. And, and, and there's so much in that. If, if you want to hear more about that and you want to study more about that, come out on Wednesday nights. Pastor Jack does a great idea or great job of opening the ideas contained in Revelation. And there's so much more than just heaven there. But that's part of it. Um, come on out on Wednesday nights and be a part of that and see some of those ideas of what's going on. Oh, I skipped one. I'm sorry. We are also indwelt. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That was, that was back in verse uh, 6. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. This idea that, that so not only are we redeemed, we're also adopted. We're also indwelt. I'm not going to take time to really dig into that one, but that's a good study for another time of this idea that, that God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to live in us, and give us the power and abilities and, and different things like that. And beyond that, we're also heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And God provides for us and, and gives us not only things in this world, but a hope of an eternal future with him in heaven. So what? We, we, could, we could keep going. There's, there's a bunch more in this. We could keep going on that, but so what? I'm a, I'm a big fan. 
We even talked about it this morning in Sunday school, the idea that you, you observe the text, you read it, and then you, you seek to understand it. What is it saying? What's going on? But then you apply, apply it. Now, you've got to be careful not to jump to the application, but I do think that, that as we study things, there is a place in which we have to understand, so what? What difference does this make? I think one of the biggest so what's is, is simply the way that we think about it. See, as we look at this idea that, that at the perfect time, God did all of this stuff, we begin to realize that we can have confidence. Because if God has already done that in the past, and I, I only touched on, like I said, a few of the things, some of those practical ideas of how he put together world governments. You know, we, we can have a tendency to look at government and be like, oh man, this, this is doing that and that. And yet God orchestrates those in such a perfect way even, even taxes, I mentioned those briefly, even taxes, God is able to set those up in such a way that they're used to create the roads so that the people could carry the gospel around the known world. Maybe something to think about. But as God set all of this stuff up and put everything together and fulfilled all of the prophecies and all the promises that he had done in the past... And as he brings together his perfect plan to bring Christ into the world as the atonement for us, as the payment for our sins, we can have a confidence that because he was able to do all of that in the past, we can also today recognize that God's timing is perfect. Already this morning, I heard a couple of, couple of people praying about the need for a, a music pastor not that we don't want Jim to keep singing with us, but <laughs> but God's timing is perfect. I, I look, again, looking just practically at how God brought my family and I here, and he set up the timing just right. And it, we can get discouraged. We can look at the world around us and, and see like, oh man, all this terrible stuff is happening. But I think God was preparing my family. I think God was preparing this church for the perfect time to bring us together. And because God has done that in the past, and because of, of these things that we've looked at here, we can have confidence that even still today, God is at work in amazing ways bringing these things together to create his perfect timing for whatever that is. So what? One of the takeaways is be patient. Wait for God's timing. It's so easy to try and rush ahead and do our own thing. God's timing is perfect. Because of that, we can have confidence that he's going to work it out. More than that, though, because of what we've seen in the past, we have confidence today, but we also have confidence looking forward to the future. See, we look at the world around us, and quite frankly, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of challenges. You guys know them. I don't have to outline all of them. You ever get impatient? Be like, hey, God, why, why are you letting this happen? Come on, it's time to... Just come on back and let's, let's get going. I want to look at one more verse. Just a reminder. In 2 Peter. This is one of those, one of those verses. If you, if you memorize scripture, which I, I would encourage you to do, set this one to memory. To, to recognize. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, 
some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Verse 10 then talks about how the time as we see it doesn't really work, doesn't matter to God in that same way. But God's timing is perfect. And some of us may look to the future and be like, God, come on, hurry up, let's go. I want to I be with you. And yet, because God's timing is perfect, and because he is not slow or slack in fulfilling his promises, as, as we might think, instead we realize he is patient. He's long-suffering. Why? Because the gift that he gave us, those of you who have received it, this gift of redemption, of your sins being paid for, more than that of adoption, becoming a son or daughter of God, more than that being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and having an inheritance that's coming, God wants to do that for others as well. So we may get impatient and be thinking, oh, come on, hurry up. Why can't Christmas morning get here? Why not 12.01 in the morning? But God's timing is perfect. And God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what? If you've not received the gift of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today. Now's a great time. You don't have to wait till Christmas morning to open this present. It's a present that God offers to everyone freely. I mean, that is what a gift is, right? It's a free gift. All you have to do is accept it. If you're not sure how, come talk to me after service. I'd, I'd love to sit down with you and explain that more. If you've not accepted the gift, accept it today. If you have, as a joint heir with Christ, as an adopted son, you have the ability to take that gift to others. And as we go through this Christmas season, recognize that God's perfect timing includes that he is waiting for someone else to have an opportunity to get saved. So how are we going to help out with that process of sharing the gospel, of spreading the gift? Because God's timing is perfect. He is very long-suffering, but there will come a day which he says, okay, that's the last chance. Time's up. God's timing is perfect. We can trust him. We can rely on him. We can have confidence in that. And we can rejoice because of the amazing gift that he has given us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your gift, the gift of your son, Lord. Because you loved us so much, you gave your only begotten son, your one and only special and unique son for us. Lord, as we, as we consider the state that we were in of sin, we did not deserve it. We have no reason to hope for it or expect it other than at the perfect time you sent your son to fill the promises you made in the perfect plan that you had laid so that you could redeem us out of our sinful state. You could adopt us into your, into your family and dwell us with the Holy Spirit and give us an inheritance. Lord, thank you for that amazing gift. Help us use the time that you have given us well and wisely. 
that we would share that gift with others so that they also may come to know you as their personal Savior. And help us to praise you and worship you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.